Welcome back, Badgers. Thanks, everyone, for such a brilliant response to the first episode. We were slightly taken aback, actually. But we really appreciate everyone who sent a message and sent the podcast on to someone else. So if you missed that episode, which was an interview with my co-host, James Bledge, don't forget to check that one out on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But this week, Bledge and I are joined by a friend of both of ours, a guy who has been on a few podcasts, so there's a good chance that you've heard of Rob McGurk. Bledge, how's your week been? And then tell me how you know Rob. Okay, busy week. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to back up what, what Sam said there about the response from the, the first podcast. It's pretty cool to see as many people engaging with it, so thanks for that. Uh, yeah, so busy week here with us. We've been uh, working hard, Still pushing the course forward, building a lot of bunkers, trying to get them all done before Christmas time. Uh, building roads and dunes and loads of meetings and stuff. So uh, all very good. Uh, and I found out today that my apprentice, uh, Luke, got a distinction in his level two. Oh, so, congratulations, Luke. Uh, big news, actually, for us. He was running up in Taurus Junior and Keeper of the Year oh, as well. Wow. So he's a good lad. So he's been buzzing about that today. So great for the club. Good for him. As well. And so the, the good couple, a few, a few of us sort of booked on Harrogate as well for doing. We're actually doing a talk together, aren't we? We so are, yeah. Understand. If you're going to be at BTMA, you'll see Bledge, the main event, but also I'm saying a few things about the history of Hoylick. So that'll be my first time speaking there, which will be fun. It's at the conference as well, so it's a very decent crowd, along with Chris Trimble, my first assistant, and Alistair Beggs, who's the RNA economist. So we're going to talk about all things Hoylick, and it's entitled What Hoylick Has to Offer. So we've yet to start writing it. So that's one of the things we have to start doing soon. But uh, yeah, moving on to Rob McGuck. Uh, when I worked at Royal St. Ports, obviously Princess was next door uh, and became very, very good friends with Rob through probably our admiration of uh, golf equipment. has <laughs> been one and especially nostalgic golf equipment, which I'm quite looking forward to talking to him about. Yeah. Uh, our love for pin L8 bags that we used to remember from our childhood. Uh, Rob's just, he's one of, uh, one of life's really interesting people. Uh, he's incredibly cheeky, which is brilliant. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking earlier, the things, like four things that come into my head when I think of Rob McGurk and the first one being family. He's a big family man. He's got the most amazing family. Yeah. The golf club down there is just such a family vibe, and uh, you've never felt as, as welcome. Uh, so, family's the first kind of thing I thought about with Rob, and then Jen. He's a, <laughs> it's uh, got some connections, uh, hasn't it? Collector. Yeah, I mean, he's his Instagram page is, 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 is classic, loads of pictures of Jen uh, and Pugs, Jen and Pugs. Yeah, uh, he loves his dogs, you know. It's quite often working at Royal Ports, and I'd see him running along the seawall. And he'd be followed like half a mile behind him would be his black lab Dexter, who would just <laughs> run right across the place. And you know, I just love that. Well, that reminds me of when I first met Rob. So I haven't known him half as long as you have, Bledge, but uh, it was during 2020 as lockdown was easing up. And I went down to Kent to do some drone work. And Rob put me up in the in the lodge that they have down there. Very generous host, but 
what you wouldn't expect. He said, Sam, well, what are you doing for food? And I said, well, some of the restaurants are still closed. And he said, well, no, forget that. We're having a barbecue tonight at ours in the bay. So come round and sample some of the gin. Get the gin out. And that's what we did. And I'll always remember how well he and Ali and the whole family looked after me. Mm. So incredibly generous host. Every time we've gone back, he's always looked after us remarkably well. So we're very glad that he is able to join us as our first guest on Golf Badgers. Well, Rob, thanks very much for joining us and being our first guest. I really appreciate you taking the time. And my pleasure. It's quite a big deal being first guest and with this, Rob. We've thought long and hard about who would have his first guest. So could be the only guest. <laughs> yeah, it's first and depending last. how it goes. Yeah. Let's hope not. No, thanks for the invite, guys. So, Rob, what's How's Prince's looking at the moment? Well, we've just gone through the winter maintenance, um, which has gone very well. We have uh, carried out a, a hell of a lot of work to the greens and the fairways. We've top dressed them for the first time for a, for a long time. We've had the, the VGR out on the greens, injecting sand and uh, vridoed over the top. And it's uh, it's been very tidy. So uh, very pleased with it. And we've had decent weather which has uh, really helped it uh, repair so I think uh, middle of next week we'll be back to normal again considering we finished the work last Friday it's uh, yeah, it's much better than expected the recovery. Because you've got a, a course manager now that's another level from any course manager you've ever had. <laughs> oh I'd never say that about him we, we, we do miss him yeah. um, but uh, things move on and uh, he thoroughly deserves the opportunity he's got at Burtdale, but um, let's hope they've got a very strong finance department to keep yes. him under control. Keep, keep him in a life he's accustomed to. He learned well from you, Bledgy. I know. We're all good at spending money. Cut cost, take Scotsman, Rob. The course needs it, apparently. That's all over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I was just I was saying in the in the intro uh, about how I'd heard the story that he's, uh, he's leaving do that you, you produced all the invoices or <laughs> because his total spend up uh, for the, since he was in charge and it was extraordinary really <laughs> good lad soften the blow of him leaving mm-hmm. he he is uh, yeah he was really good spender was old Sean but um, it was uh, it was well worth it and um yeah, so he be missed. He's, he's like part of the family. Uh, my yeah. father was gutted to see him go, but very pleased for him to to move on to a course such as Birkdale. So, uh, yeah, I'm no, not sure he'll be a fantastic job. Family, that's like one of the big things that we were talking about is the, the McGuck family. And for me, how I almost kind of felt part of the McGuck family as well at times because it's it, oh, some of the great events that you had and uh, just to kind of always be around it and see how you like the dynamic between all the brothers and sisters and I mean, maybe you could kind of shed a little bit of light on on, on the how golf has kind of shaped your family yeah i mean it's, it's funny uh prince's it was very much set up back in the day to be a family club um the the first owner he very much wanted families to be able to come and enjoy golf and it wasn't the thing back in the day for you to bring your family along to the golf course and um, for 
especially juniors and ladies to play. So Princess is pretty much set up for, for ladies and juniors and, and, and families really. So, and throughout the, throughout the ages it has continued that, whether it be through my father or through um, Mr. Bridgeland who had it before us or, or Malibu DB who, who set the course up back in the early 1900s. These, these, this course was set up for families. So we've kept that going really. It's a very relaxed place to play. So, there must uh, be about what, 10, 10 family members plus that play quite regular golf there. Yeah, I think probably including the grandkids, it'd be it'd be way past that now. Probably in high teens, I would think. Oh. So uh, all the wow, as much as all that. the grandkids are really good into it. And um, well, your your, your this mother day, and, and uh, Molly gave uh, myself and uh, Harry a right good whipping at the the Saracen last year, but. Uh, Oh, never forget that. <laughs> handicap review, I think. And speaking of which, yeah, handicap right, review, yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've gone back to being, uh, you've gone back from being a pro to an you've amateur got a handicap. Well. Yeah. I know, so I'm off the naughty step on next Friday. So I've had, I've had my six months and um, I'll be back playing in the midweek medals and such. Well, that's a good, uh, a good point then to take it full circle, you know almost back as an amateur but what was your golfing life like Rob because obviously you've now done however many years as a professional so what got you into that in the first place yeah so I, I played uh, my father bought princes back in the early 70s and we were sort of brought down every weekend uh, so if you didn't play golf there wasn't much else to do really so I sort of got into it at the age of sort of four and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the discipline of practice and trying to improve and uh, I carried on playing, so I sort of got down to sort of scratch handicap, sort of 14, 15, and played county golf and uh, managed to sort of get through to the England squads as an amateur. I lost in the semi-finals English amateur, Hunt Stanton, and um, I, uh, I finished top five in the Bravers and at Royal St George's. So I was very consistent, but never really uh, won any of the big, big events. So uh, I got through to so 23, 24. I was reserved for the home internationals. Couldn't see myself going any further, so I'd turn pro. So I turned pro, I was 25. Uh, played a little bit of MasterCard Tour, which was, which was excellent. Thoroughly enjoyed it um, for two or three years. Managed to finish top five, which then gave me status on the Challenge Tour, uh, which I played for seven or eight years. Uh, but unfortunately, 2005, I, uh, I ruptured a patellar tendon in my left knee and I never fully recovered from that. So I played all the way through to 2008 and I competed in the Austrian Open at Fontana, which was a tour event back then. And I played out of my boots and finished, I think, 18 shots behind the winner, Jeep Milk and Singh. And I thought, well, I need to get a proper job. So... I, uh, I decided to hang the golfing boots up pretty much there from a, a playing standpoint and uh, done my PGA. So I went through my PGA training uh, three years and then uh, took over director of golf at Prince's uh, before uh, I get to 2016 and took over as general manager. So that's sort of a, a bit of background into how I got to where I've got to. And, uh, and funny enough, in May this year, I've turned back amateur again. So... It's uh, yeah, gone full circle. So what's, what's more stressful, managing uh, Princes as GM or trying to uh, put food on the table as a, a, a professional golfer? Because I think 
everyone thinks it's professional golfers, a glamorous lifestyle, but uh, I know a few guys on tour, Challenge Tour, European Tour, and it's it's not all what it's cut out to be, you know, it's very stressful. Yeah, playing golf for, for money and, and making enough money to, to get by is, is very, very difficult. So I would say playing golf is far more stressful. Um, it's very rewarding when, when things go your way, but you spend 95% of your time losing. So um, this year, Tiger, obviously, who, who doesn't? But it, it's a very difficult career. You've got to be incredibly good, very self-centered, very disciplined. And um, it's, it's, it's difficult. They are, they're, they're just so good at that level. So um, and yeah. I wasn't quite good enough. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great experience. I think I played golf in over 50 countries. I played with some great players and met some brilliant people who are still friends to today. So I would never, ever um, take it back. I really enjoyed it, but it's time for a new chapter. So I bet you've never enjoyed golf as much as you enjoy it just now with some of the places you get to go and play and, and the fact that with Princes ever developing, every time you go out there, there's a little improvement or whatever, you know, and you get to go across to Charter Hills, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think the difficulty with with princes is I thoroughly enjoy the process of of improvement. It's very difficult, and you know this as well as anyone. Pledge that playing golf at your home course is virtually impossible <laughs> because it doesn't matter where you are, practice ground, on the course, in the clubhouse. Someone's always going to ask you, "Why have you done this? Why can't you do that?" And it is difficult to relax. So. My enjoyment, although I love playing at Princess, comes from playing all these new courses and yeah. uh, exploring and learning really from what other courses do. I mean, I've, we've been well, Ali and I went to Bandon this year for the first time, which we we absolutely loved. We went to Castle Stewart for the first time, which was a brilliant experience. Over to Ireland to play a few of the courses on the west coast with my pals, and it was it, that's that's how I enjoy golf now. And I think, uh, and obviously our little nostalgic group has sort of opened my eyes to and brought me back in love with the game again, really. I thought our time through lockdown was opened my eyes up to what I should be doing, not what I have been doing. No, it was, I remember you told me that and it was great to hear. So we could maybe shed a little light about the nostalgic group for a second. So during lockdown, uh, myself, Rob, Liam Brown, who's Green's chairman at Ross, and George at the time, was my Greens chairman at Deal and uh, Rob Lee, his assistant secretary at Ross and George, had started a little WhatsApp group and we'd went on eBay and bought all the clubs that we used to have as, I, I don't know, it was whatever was nostalgic to you. So for me, that would be in my 20s probably. So I was buying blades and we bought the copper pings, ping answers and then L8 bags. And then you became a bit obsessed with buying L8 bags, didn't you, Robert? I do. I have seven. In the office, <laughs> and um, we'll try to collect collect the Dulux chart. You know, uh, I've gone through quite a few of them, but um, it was just great fun. And considering what everyone was going through with lockdown, it just took your mind off it a little bit. We'd pop down to the club, do a little bit of work, and then spend the rest of the day on eBay trying mm -hmm. to gazump each other with Buying bags. Geometric George Pringles, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, but also going back to our youth, hitting persimmon woods, which I hadn't done for, I don't know, 30 years. And it was so much fun. Mm. And um, yeah, I sort of fell, fell in love with the game again, really, after after your uh, 
your invite to the group. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it's it. It's still going strong, which is good. And we actually, I took the nostalgic clubs down to Blackwell for the member guest that Sam took me down to, and I played absolutely horrendous. Yeah, <laughs> there were mitigating circumstances with yeah, the volume of alcohol, alcohol consumed. Yeah. I know, but, but it didn't reduce the enjoyment at all, did it? It's good to bring them out because you feel there's not as much expectation on yeah. you when you're playing with clubs that are impossible to hit. And recently, I you've not seen my Founders Club's blades yet, Rob, that I've bought that are <laughs> so many, everyone's commenting. How they're awesome nice to they look are. at, aren't they? They're incredible, but they're <laughs> utterly unhittable, as I found out. <laughs> it's Southern S and a rain shower with two wrap grips and they end up going flying out your hand into the heather. So. Well, that's a good sex. So as much as golf clubs have changed, Prince's has changed a fair bit over your tenure there, Rob. It's certainly over your full life of of um, of going there from a kid until now. But over the last 10 years, it's changed enormously as, as well. So how do you feel? Do you feel the club, the course and the club are where you want them? Or is there still further to go? And could you talk a bit about what you've actually done to to make those changes? Yeah, I think um, I think it's good to start from why we did the changes. And I think um, we're next to us are two of the world's best golf courses, uh, Royal St. Ports and Royal St. George's. And what would happen is that guests would come down and they would miss us out. And I can understand why you, you would come down to play the two, two big boys, really. So we felt that at some point we, with the hotel now going well, we would need to do something different. So uh, we instructed Martin Ebert. We, we got in contact with him. We didn't look at other architects, but with our connection with the RNA, it felt like the best thing to do would be to, and the safest thing to do would to, to employ Martin. And uh, he's been he's been great to deal with and work with over the over the years so the plan was really to look at the every single hole and change angles give us better views of the seas uh, sea sorry uh, the bunkering green surrounds which were a real feature when the course was laid out in 1906 and become so small um, uh, mow those out again and really create a number of shots around the green so it, it, that was the, the plan and with with when you put in new tees in and new green complexes on a triple si site you have to work very closely with the nature nature guys so if we wanted to build a tee we'd have to build a give them a sand scrape if we wanted to build a new hole we'd have to give them a wetland so we worked hand in hand with them guys so hence why we've got a mixture of sand areas and some some wetlands on the course and when we saw the initial plans for the Himalayas, it was quite extreme, but we did say to Martin, you can go for your life down here because this nine is never really used by the RNA or the PGA for tournaments. So uh, he had a he had a blank canvas and um, I think he did a great job with it. It's certainly my favorite nine. But the, the plan was really that because the other two courses are so good, we wanted to be slightly different, to offer something different. We could never compete with them. So the whole plan was to to, to change every hole and make it stand out really it's remarkable that you have three courses of such renown in such a small area those are as different to one another as those three are do you find that there is any sort of competition between the three clubs or do they each exist in their own little ecosystem 
I don't think there's any competition. <laughs> um, I think we're all very different. I mean, Princes is a, we're a proprietary club, has hotel guests and has a daily fee golf and has 400 members. Royal St George's is a, is a member's golf course that has visitors and Royal St Ports is, is a big members club that has um, a lot of Halford Hewitt members and daily fee members and has a, has a mix. So I think they're all, all very different, really. I don't think there's really any competition between the three uh, as such, but um, I would we're certainly very different to, to, to keep up with the Joneses, as it were, and always, I mean, I always remember when there was ever a tournament that would play all three courses and you'd always want to have the feedback that you are the best of the three. And it yeah. was because it was, it's natural to have that, you know, and uh, it was a good thing that when Princes spent money, we would follow on and try and do upgrades. And then it kind of kept us all, the, the better our course is, is, means more people come there to play your course and the better Princes is. Yeah. So it, it's all kind of subconsciously helping each other by doing that. Uh, and I think it was a great thing. So by Princes doing all these upgrades was great for all three courses. Yeah, I think the the course is. I mean, certainly you, yourself and Sean got on very, very well. And um, Sinkport's over the last ten years has improved incredibly as well. Especially when you go from tea to green, then green to tea. I mean, that's one of the biggest improvements, isn't it? From Sinkports, you can almost you can, as you say, I've read, I listened to a podcast earlier. You can putt your way around there. Yeah. Certainly wasn't the case um, ten years ago, and. Uh, Princes is a complete different kettle of fish. It's it's a it's a big site. Um, we have a lot of visitors there, hence why things like sand scrapes are so important to us because they they find their ball and they carry on rather than mm. <laughs> looking through the deep rough. So pace of play improves, especially with so, the ridges. Like, is it fair to say, especially on the shore and the dunes nines? It's almost like ridges of that you play through, and if you hit your ball over a ridge on certain parts of the course, you could either be hitting this into thick grass and never seeing it again, or you walk up the ridge, stick your head over, and say, "Oh, there it is, down at the bottom. I can, I can get a six iron to that." Yeah, the old course, Sam. I used to play over the ridges um, before it decimated during the war, but uh, Bridgeland, he was a. He didn't like any blind shots. He didn't like any central hazards. He didn't like, I mean, all bunkers were down the side of the fairways. There's no bunkers in front of the green. So we were very much played beneath or between the Junelands. Um, And that's how he got 27 holes in, really. But the old course was very much like St. George's. You play all over the place. Um, It'd be quite cool at some point to try and put as many of those holes back. It's not quite as easy to do nowadays, but it would be nice to... The Sarazen tee that you put in on the ninth of the hymns, uh, that's a fantastic tee shot playing right over the over the dune yeah. uh, and you can bite off as much as you want. You can pretty much, I mean, we play with Jordy, he would go right for the clubhouse, whereas I would take on the middle <laughs> bunker and have 150. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an exact replica of how the hole was back in 1932. So, um, and we almost play the the old eighth hole as well when we do the playoff when you hit over the the tee on nine hymns from two hymns so yeah I mean it's difficult to to take the course backwards we haven't quite got the room 
to bring it back to how it was. But I think what Martin's done with a lot of the features and the green surrounds and the bunkering has, has pretty much brought it back from that point of view to how it was back in the 30s. Yeah. So when you sit and have your own time and, and you, whether it be on a flight or when you're trying to get to sleep and you have got this kind of vision in your head of what you want Princess to be like, just say money was no object, for example, and how would you want that course to end up being? What, what, what would be your big vision for the place? And I'd even talk about any any things that might actually happen. Well, I think we just, we had a five-year plan uh, back in 2016, 2017, just to move the course forward, move up the rankings. But for me, the most enjoyable aspect of it is when people come in and say how much they've enjoyed their day. Even today, we've, the weather's been a little bit iffy, but people have come in and said, right, we're booking back in for next year. To, to change it, change the course further would take some serious earth movement I think we just haven't got the topography to have a Royal Port Rush or a Royal St George's or a County Down if you know what I mean so we would work with what we've got I don't think there's much more we can do to it um, in a way of changing holes now but I'd certainly like to see more some more sand areas around the course to get rid of the rank areas we're going to do a little bit of work with Martin this winter on that um do some more tree clearing um that, that sort of thing really and more path work i can't see us changing much more I'm, I'm very happy with how it's turned out well you have had a lot of like i mean a hell of a lot of work done in, in the whole nine years that i've been there and i've seen it completely transform i mean it, one of my favorite things was always nipping down from sink ports to princes on the way home just to see what digger work had been done that day so i guess you're right it's maybe it's super for yourself and the members and visitors to kind of just have a bit of settlement now and uh, work in fine tuning areas and taking it forward that way. Yeah, I think so. We've, we've obviously you've seen the plans for the little par three course. That's that's that that will uh, get underway at some point. Um, we've just got to work out where we're going to put it. Uh, we should be that'd be very exciting. And it's I can't see us doing much more to it, James, at, at the moment. Um, what is your what's your favourite single improvement, whether it be a hole or something you've done? I can think of mine, but yeah, I just I just love the Himalayas. I think the way it turned out, especially where we're hitting down to a lot of fairways, you can see the, the sea off most of the tee shots. And when you get down to sort of four, five, six, it's so quiet down there and peaceful. Um, so I really I think that that area of the course is my is my my favourite. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the two new par threes that Martin Eber put in were. Superb, little the the uh, bloody point and smuggler's landing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think I mean I think bloody point out the far end is is, is one of the best holes in the course. But <clears throat> my favourite hole is still seven Himalayas. I think it's just seven great uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I, I had the fifth of uh, the Junes in my eclectic eighteen. Yeah, that's a great hole as well. I had a sixth actually. I couldn't get seven in. Oh right, yeah. Right too not. many good sixteenths and too many good sevenths. Yeah, it's a massively underrated golf course, and it's somewhere I've always really looked forward. I mean, I had the pleasure of practically being a member there. <laughs> I would just turn up. Uh, I was so lucky with with having Sean next door and yourself that uh, I was there quite a lot, and it was just definitely one of my favourite golf courses. And that's why part of the reason why we wanted to get you on first, really. Twenty sixteen, you 
took over as GM, the course obviously has been completely transformed. You got the lodge. When did you start on the lodge there? Was that in the same time frame? So the lodge we had put in for planning in about year 2000, I believe. It went through in 2008. It took quite a while to go through. And what happened was that the two fishermen had come in off the beach in October. It was a bit cold. And they got into the old clubhouse and they set fire to the lockers. But we'd put a new roof on the clubhouse (laughs) to, uh, to make it look respectable. But that roof acted like a kiln. And the whole thing went up in smoke. If either of the two chimney breasts had fallen over, uh, we would have lost all planning. Oh, wow. So we couldn't have built on it at all. So after that incident, we, uh, we managed to get plan permission. And uh, we started in 20, 2009, 2010. It was completed in 2012. We'd actually open it in 2011 for the open the apartments. Uh, but the actual lodge itself wasn't open until 2012. And it's been a huge success for, for us, for uh, a lot of St George's members stay there. Uh, we had a lot of packages with St Ports and St George's. So it's a, it's a real hub. It's a golfer's hotel. And one of the best putting greens uh, I've ever played yeah. on outside it, which uh, your mother and I, Rob, are the, and Sean. And Champions. Slips, I think, over champions here. So, didn't you tell me a cool story about that? Didn't you have a, a, a wedding that, and then they decided never going to do this again? So that's why the putting green is as choppy as it is. That's exactly what happened. So what happened? We we had my sister's wedding. Sean had to come down and flatten the entire area, which he <laughs> hated. And we had the wedding. The marquee almost blew away. It was so windy and. After that, the amount of stress that Sean went through, he said, I'm going to build the slopiest, bumpy <laughs> putting green so you can never hold a wedding on this area again. So we, uh, he, he went to, we went to town. He shaped it all himself. He grew it all in himself. Um, and in about two years ago, we had my sister's, my brother's wedding. We had to put it on the car park, the marquee. So um, Brilliant. Yeah, but Sean, yeah, Sean, Sean, Sean grew it all in, yeah, did the whole thing. He loved it. So from one old Lynx course uh, with a lot of daily play golf, you then decided to go the other way and purchase Chart Hills. So right. how did that come about? So Chart Hills is Nick Faldo's first real design. It's uh, in Bindon, which is about... 20 minutes from Ashford, probably half an hour off the M20. It's a rolling park, then a huge parkland course. It's actually, yes, 220 acres. Uh, it's a beautiful site. I, I was a founder member there as a back in when I was in my early 20s. So we used to pop down there, had great practice facilities. Those courses did back then. Pure greens, great turf on the range, and great service. But as time went on, uh, it sort of lost its way a little bit. We we actually tried to buy it uh, about three or four years before we did actually manage to get our hands on it. So it wasn't our first attempt. And the idea really was that we would find Princess was going very well. We wanted another club to complement it. Um, and Charlie Hills had a great name, although it would fall onto a hard time. So we uh, we bought it. It went through on Christmas Eve in nine, uh, 2019. So... Uh, 
we, we sort of found our feet with it. We were trying to repair all the damage that had been done uh, to the fairways, to the greens, through through lack of investment. And uh, But it's coming on very, very well. And Tarketti's over there steering the ship and um, working with Alistair Beggs as our agronomist. So, yeah, it's coming on well. But it was purely to complement Prince's. Um, at the moment, we're taking our time, just ensuring that it, uh, it doesn't get too stressed out and we can get the grasses back as we would like it, because it's a great bit of land. And are there any any plans for that going forward? Because uh, we obviously, we know that you upgraded the sand cap, the fairways, drainage system, etc. What's what's the next steps for that? Well, we're, we're about three weeks from finishing a little par three course there, um, which uh, they replicate the Faldo's six favourite approach shots to, to holes he's played. So... We have EC in there at the moment, shaping away. Hopefully that'll be finished next sort of three weeks um, through Faldo Design. And there's a new putting green up by the first tee. So yeah, still major investment going in. I believe that the, the plan is this winter is to work on the tees and uh, get those all back up to scratch again. So it's very much a piecemeal um, strategy, but uh, we're just taking our time with it really. But the par three course will be exciting. It's a fantastic piece of land. I've always enjoyed going up there. Uh, I did when I was young, I think maybe in my late teens, played there and had the biggest hay fever attack uh, ever. That's <laughs> yeah, always what I remember it for. There's a hay round there. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely some rough, but it's, it's, a, it's a really good layout. I mean, huge. It's, the fairways are very wide, uh, really nice green complexes. Um, did a great job with it. But as I say, those, those courses, they need they need quite a lot of uh, care and attention, shall we say? They need to be looked after because um, you can soon lose them, especially with the amount of clay, mm-hmm. uh, and they just get worn down pretty quick. But no, it's it's really coming back. A great big clubhouse, and uh, it's pretty much member only at the moment. With a little bit of daily fee play, but as I say, we'll take our time getting it back to where it should be. So Bledge just said um, that you sand capped all the fairways. So I think there's a lot of people. One of the great feedback that we've got so far from our first podcast is there are people who are interested in agronomy and architecture and course maintenance and stuff, but they don't really know too much about it. So can you say what exactly you did there to, to provide better services in the long term and, and what that process involved? In doing so? Yeah, so when we, when we, when we bought the course, um, we went pretty much straight into lockdown, which again was, was horrendous for, pretty much everyone. But for us, it meant that we could have a real good go at the golf course. So the the, the fairways had actually turned this what looked like coconut matting. Do you remember the old mats you used to play off at driving ranges when you were when you were little? And um, you could basically pull it away with your hands. It had rotted away. So we dug down about a about a foot, um, reappointed all the drainage and irrigation. We then uh, put a, a layer of gravel over the top of that. And then we sand capped um, a certain amount of inches before overseeding. So what it allowed was that any rain that came along would immediately dissipate and go into the drainage. And then that would then feed into the reservoir, which then we could reuse for water. So in the end, what it did, it got rid of a lot of the thatch that was had accumulated over the years. Um, but it gave us pure fairways and uh, it's a creeping rye we use on them 
So it repairs very quickly. You could take a divot on a Monday and the next Monday it's almost grown over again. Mm-hmm. So uh, it gave us great services. So really it was, the fact was when you've got a clay golf course, it doesn't drain very well. So the sand capping allows the water to, to drain through much, much more quickly and, and uh, the course become a lot healthier because of it. You'll have a you'll have a winter a winter golf course essentially. In hindsight, we wish we'd gone and done surrounds, greens, tees, but you never know how successful it's going to be. And it was it was significant investment to sank up such a huge area without knowing how it was going to turn out. So, but uh, hindsight's one wonderful thing. Plenty plenty of stuff to do there. there then, but I know that you kind of know your stuff with greenkeeping because you you've been harassed by myself and Sean over the years but uh, during lockdown you actually did turn to greenkeeping yourself didn't you? you you did a little bit of helping out in the course I have thoroughly enjoyed it mm-hmm. cutting the greens and um, out there at half four in the morning no thoroughly enjoyed it and I'd won I nipped a few edges got fined which is fine um, <laughs> and I had one uh, oil leak on smugglers which I managed to get off the green quick enough and only caused a little bit of damage, but it was great fun and uh, I, thor- I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a super industry and it's great that you can turn your hand to that as well and you see what it's like from our side. So, Yeah, it's not to be taken for granted. I saw them out there yesterday in all sorts of weather and it, was, um, <laughs> it wasn't much fun, but uh, the guys love it. And as you say, it's, uh, it's, a, it's if you can get into it, it's a really, it's a great industry to, to get involved with. Fresh air, hard work, but uh, very rewarding. So what's next, Rob, if you've now got princes and chart hills, do you think you will try and find another in the portfolio or are you happy with where, where it is? I think if anything ever comes up, you, you'd always look at it. Um, we, uh, funny enough, I was at the Addington last week, which was great to go and see that. Yeah, my father tried to buy it at the same time as his father tried to buy it. So um, I'm not sure where we were in the bidding process, but I think Ron, Ron outbid us anyway. But um, yeah, I think we, if something else come up that was of interest, we would certainly look at it. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to get my hands on Heathland as well, so we'd have all three covered off, but um, they're not so easy to come by, are they? <laughs> I'm glad you were saying before we started how Robbie travel a lot extensively in, in yeah. golf and how many of the things that you pick up on your travels find their way into one of your golf courses pretty much everything really i mean it's it you look at our sleeper paths and um rough style half hybrid bunkers half revetted half rough style i mean we i try and pick up everywhere i go i always i'm always looking for little things we can improve on and it's always the little touches that make the difference and one of the things that blew me away at castle stewart is they they do a lot of that stuff so well uh, when i played up there this year so um especially you look at, at pathways and how you can make a pathway interesting by sleeping around it or mm-hmm. little sleeper steps through it through sand areas uh, so yeah i'm always trying to pick things up and there's some courses you'll never be able to to replicate but there's certain areas that you can you can improve on just by not so much copying but picking up on areas they've 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 improved and almost taking away some wear and tear areas just by adding things like sleeper paths in it makes a big difference 
I think I really feel that Princess has got its own identity with all these things that have come together from from your travels, and, it, and it's it, whenever you see a picture on, on the internet or the or a magazine, you can tell it's Princess straight away. You know, especially yeah. your second of the dunes, for example, my favourite probably picture on the golf course of the, the 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 sleeper path meandering through the sand, and the sand's blown all over it. You know, I mean, that's for me, that's just. The epitome of excellence. <laughs> I absolutely love Attention that. to detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. The, the beautiful uh, load of pine trees behind that. And I remember when Sean told me that he's going to thin them out, and I was like, no. But it actually worked really well, you know. And and it's it's a hell of a golf hole. I just wish I could play it. I always end up slapping it left onto the beautiful big fescue surround, which takes it down to the next. Yeah. Yeah, we spent a lot of time behind that. Funny of that that hole, the trees behind that green. There was about forty or fifty pines, and I'd stand on the on the tee, and Sean would be down with his chainsaw and a couple of the lads, and they'd chop a limb off. They'd chop one down, then he'd come back to the tee, and that that went on for a good week or so before we were happy with it. So it's not just a case of us chopping it down, as you say. You 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 want to make sure you can make it as as good as you can. So you you take your time with these things. But uh, yeah, I remember that was. It was during the snow break, actually, during COVID. It was mm-hmm. blood freezing out there, but it was worth it in the end. I think maybe uh, we could quickly discuss one of my favourite golf competitions you have, the Sarazen. Yeah. Uh, we could, yeah, tell us how how, how that come about in, in the format. It's quite an interesting one. And, and, and the thing that I love most about it is is the playoff where you can actually feel like a European tour pro because there's a hundred people watching you, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's something that I've never seen at any other golf club. So, Yeah, so uh, Mr. Sarazen stayed with us during the Open in 93 and he donated a trophy to the club. We can never really find anything that deserved to be played for, for this trophy. So I've been in the States a few times at the quarry, which is out in Palm Springs, and they have this, this horse race where you'd have a certain amount of flights and people would win their flights and then they would go through to this this playoff and everyone would tee off together. And I thought, oh, I'd quite like to see if we can get up and running at, at Prince's. So a good friend of ours, who you know as well, Dave Smith, he he sort of sat on this little mini committee and we come up with this Saracen trophy. So we have we have six flights, four ball matches. Uh, it's a points-based system. So nine uh, point for a win, half for a half, and then one point for winning overall. And the... What's great about it is you could lose your first two matches and but still get through if you win your other three. It depends if you whack someone 9-1 or 8-2. Or Funny enough, Liam and I this year were lying fourth in our group and got through to the mini-point playoff. So it's a really good um, format. Uh, the leaders of each group then will go through to the finals. But what we do, we, we have the 10 best runners up from the groups then play mini point which is off an astroturf strip in front of the spike bar over the putting green to the far green that's probably my favorite yeah it's fun part of the event and the game show is good fun in the evening but that can go a little bit awry well <laughs> I, 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 that was the only thing i was good at last time with my uh, yeah, that, so yeah. yeah the game show is good fun but that's basically ali and i picking on people who deserve to be picked on so, but the, the mini points brilliant. Everyone's on a balcony, videoing, shouting. Mm-hmm. 
as people are trying to pitch 90 yards and we've seen people hit the boat, we've seen people hit the wood, we've seen shanks, we've seen, <laughs> we rarely see good shots. Two will then go through from that. And then we have 12 foursomes group tee off the first of the Himalayas. Um, and everybody goes out and watches. We got we have beer buggies and it's, it's just great fun. Uh, we lose four on the first, four on the second and four go down the last. And then, uh, the winner is the, the person who's standing on the last green. We've the last two, three years, we've actually gone into a playoff where if the nearest shot out of the Sarahs and Bunker wins the tournament, Bledge got through last year, was it? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't want to bring that up. But, no, we'll uh, talk about that. We'll gloss over that one. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm after a bunker lesson. <laughs> but it's, it's a great event. It's something different. And, um, and the camaraderie as well throughout the, the weekend is is something I always look forward to. So it's a, it's a great event. We have to get Sam down to it next year. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's, it's such a great event. But I mean, it goes back to this Prince's family that we were talking about as well, you know, and, and it's extended. And everyone that's upstairs in that clubhouse, uh, you know very, very well. And I mean, there's what, 100 odd people. It's a, yeah, it's 100, 100, 108, I think. So it's a, pretty awesome. I mean, 16, 16 different nationalities playing this year. We have, Oh, well. South French, Germans, Australians, Americans. It mm-hmm. was it was great because it's a it's a real member guest. So and it, yeah, let's hope it goes from strength to strength. Well, that rounds up to another thing that I'll just quickly ask you about. Um, going back when we were talking about the three clubs in Kent and the the interaction between the three, and another competition that you have is the Hagen Hoof, isn't it? So. What's the story with with that? Because that always sounds like a, a cracking day. Yeah, the Hagen Hoof is one of those dream days of the year where we get to play all three courses in one day. I think Richard Craven, God bless his soul, uh, came up with this idea, James, uh, about 10 years ago, now 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you, we, we started off, actually, it was Walter Hagen teed off the first at deal and then played round to 11, then walked to St George's, played from 6 to 13. Down put everyone in the, in the back of the pickup. And take them yeah, that's six. it. They're all made back round again. Yeah. So Richard came up with this crazy idea and the clubs have jumped on board with it. But again, I think it's really helped the camaraderie between the clubs. Um, everyone gets on so well. We have a big dinner at, at Singapore's or Royal St. George's after, after the event. We normally host the first round and um, it's just a brilliant, brilliant tournament. And it's great to play the three courses in one day. Yeah. And it's amazing how the scoring goes. St. George's normally are pretty much the uh, the leading team after two rounds. Um, but after lunching quite strongly, shall we say, they end up last most years. Um, so it ends up with us and Deal fighting out for the for the spoils, doesn't it? Yeah, it's good. I think well we, we deal won it we won it a couple of years ago and, and you won it last year, I think, did you? So Yeah we did, yeah. Right. Yeah you always fall asleep in the St George's Clubhouse as well because you're quite tired. <laughs> it's a it's a long day. It's a great event, and uh, between the three clubs, and it'd be, I'd say, at some point, it'd be nice to maybe open up and invite some of the other open courses. Uh, I think it would. Uh, it's it definitely would go down very well. I would say, you know, you could sell it as a package, the Hagen Hoof experience, kind oh, of thing. Yeah. But in the old format, where where you started a deal and literally played all the way out, so you played them randomly, it was was just genius. But well, it it's reminiscent. They do something similar at Prestwick and Troon, don't oh, they? Right, they have okay. the you get down to the far end of Troon and then um, what would that be, the 10th hole and then you cut over and play mm-hmm. from Presswick to the clubhouse 
have lunch in the clubhouse at Presswick and then play all the way back to mm. Troon's clubhouse. And those kind of the camaraderie between the clubs and uh, you know, they're great things that we can do in this country and mm. lucky to be able to do so. So, yeah, the more the more of it, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, right, so it's yeah I think there's, there's many courses that, that can do that. I mean, we're obviously the three are very, very close. Uh, Trin Press, we're very, very close. But I don't think there's, there's that many that back onto each other, but it'd be great to, to open up a little bit more. I know that Roberts and Georges has, has talked about it on a number of occasions, but it's just a case of us getting it in the diary, really, and um, and working out and closing the courses off. Because I agree with James, I preferred it whenever we, we played to 11 and hot-footed it across to six. And then that, that jump over the barbed wire fence to George is always a bit lively after a few whiskeys. It's a jump usually quite difficult. Marchetti did his Galvin Greens one year when he slipped. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's such a great day. Well, Rob, thanks thanks very much for giving us your time tonight. You've been a legend as, as, as ever. And uh, we're, we're, very, we're very grateful. Absolutely. No, thanks, chaps. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the first one. And, uh, good luck with it all. Very kind, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, Cheers, I look forward to catching up soon. Take care. Thank you.